Welcome to UpOnly.tv. I'm uh, on the struggle bus now. I was going to troll Kobe, and he's getting the last laugh of me making a mockery of myself on the internet. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We're all good. Hey, you know what? This episode of UpOnly is brought to you by Blockfolio. Go to UpOnly.tv slash Blockfolio. Make your first trade today. It is uh, seamless trading from one asset to the other, fully powered by FTX Books, a mobile-only, beautiful experience. Trade with zero fees on Blockfolio today, uponly.tv slash Blockfolio. We're glad that y'all are here. Look, you know, sometimes we do what we got to do, right? It's a struggle. It's a constant struggle in life. Kobe, Hello. Hello, mate. This is the high production quality that you expect from Up Only TV. Uh, First of all, Ledger, then Rugged Audio. Uh, <laughs> rugged, rugged status, rugged status. <laughs> but today, we've got, we've got Santiago from Parify. So if you're watching, everyone's just about to get more intelligent. You're about to uh, move from your position on the bell curve a little bit to the right. Uh, how are you doing, Santiago? <laughs> how's your, how's your day going? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Um, so, <laughs> Ledger, this must be the worst start to a show of all time, like the absolute worst. We should, we should try and degrade the quality of the start of the show over time until people call us out. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Santiago, for people watching that do not know Parify, do you want to give a little um, introduction to uh, who you are, what you do, and what Parify does? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So been investing in crypto since 2012, much like I think you beat me to it, Kobe. But, uh, you know, been been uh, tinkering in the space for quite a bit of time. And really, uh, Parify was started in 2018, March of 2018, which is probably the worst time you can start a crypto fund because the market then absolutely collapsed right after that. Uh, but my partner, Ben, and I come from traditional finance backgrounds. Ultimately, you sort of wake up one day and say, we're not going to be investing in crypto from our funds. Uh, and Ben was at KKR, which is a big private equity fund. I was at SageView investing in open source and fintech. And I just got tired of pounding the table. I said, this is probably the most fascinating intersection of finance, open source, um, and crypto is just really powerful in my background in game theory. And, you know, eventually you just realize you have to do this full time. And so the fund was started in March of 2018. And our singular focus is investing in what we call decentralized finance, so DeFi. Um, and really up until last year, this time, it was sort of crickets. Um, you know, and, and Ethereum for a long time kind of struggled with product market fit and, and, and a killer use case. But with Maker and, and all the entire money Legos that have been built since, it's been incredibly busy for us. Um, and so we, yeah, so I'll, I'll pause there. I mean, I think we, we, that's all we do. We take a very active approach in investing. I think it's, uh, we can talk about that a little bit. You know, I'm convinced that traditional players in this space are not kind of set up or don't really understand that this is not venture. It's not a hedge fund. It's sort of everything, and you also need to have a good understanding of being an operator. So we try to do that and ultimately just help our teams the most. So it's a little bit about us. Cool. Welcome uh, welcome to the stream. It's funny that you say um, 
March 2018 as like the worst time to start. Because we spoke to Arthur from Defiance Capital, part of Three Arrows, the other day, and he said similar thing. Started in 2018, the worst time to start. Uh, and it seems like a lot of the sort of uh, titans in uh, the industry now were all started around a similar time. Like, even FTX, right? FTX was uh, mm-hmm. like a sort of late um, as well. Binance was only 2017. Um, why do you think? Why do you think that is? Well, I'll tell you from a personal standpoint. I always second guess my ability. So when you're early in an asset class, you discover crypto. I, mean, I was lucky. I didn't know that Ethereum is going to be this world supercomputer and hearing Vitalik and you know a lot of people like to claim that they saw the vision, which I candidly think is bullshit. Um, I, I think. It was a lot of luck. And for me, managing institutional capital versus doing my own private portfolio is much, much different. And so I'll always second guess my ability as an investor. You know, how much of it is luck? How much of it is skill? And I think ultimately you just say, look, I'm not a builder, but I'm an investor. And uh, I think over the years, you just sort of sharpen your mind, I guess. Uh, It's, you know, this industry, if you're not humble, will teach you humility very, very quickly. Uh, And over the years, like, you know, I think we've, I've made certainly a lot of mistakes. Like a lot of them. I think if you were to look at my my earlier wallets, uh, I'm ashamed at that time. But you know, ultimately <laughs> the culmination. You know, we all have a sh- we all have those bags. We're like God, you know. But the culmination <laughs> of that is like really, really refining our thesis of of how we think about investing now. And uh, you know, it's good because in bear markets, uh, it's quieter. Uh, the teams that you know, someone like Stani and Ave or or the synthetics guys, you know, they're in it for <laughs> the tech. They're in it to build. And those are the teams that ultimately now you look and have really thrived because they haven't given up. And they've really kind of built through the bottomless pit of what was the bear market. And it was brutal, but it sharpens your mind and it crystallizes like building things that people ultimately will use. When did your thesis evolve? Was it at the during the heat of the last cycle or was it actually during the bear market where you, things started to click for DeFi or like, you know, for what the, the avenue that you wanted to, to lean in towards whether DeFi was really a name yet wasn't, wasn't really the case. It, yeah, it really wasn't. So I invested in like things like basis, like algorithmic stable coins back in 2017 and like maker, I guess like started right around that time. Um, and it was quiet. Um, so I think, I think the fundament, like from first principles, I think really interesting things emerge out of open source networks. And I just said, look, you just sort of make that long giga long bet on I'm going to invest in what is now the largest sort, like the largest open source developer community, like something good will come out of that because you have a compounding effects of innovation. And then you say, well, yeah, like the financial application, not everything should be decentralized. I think that was the biggest learning for me in 2017. I mean, the temptation is let's decentralize everything, Uber, Airbnb. The reality is you lose a a lot of efficiency when you decentralize, like probably 98% of the use cases shouldn't be decentralized. But finance, as you know, like Bitcoin just show to you that when 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 there's a lot of value at stake you actually will trade that inefficiency because you you'd rather minimize counterparty risk and you have the certainty of moving billions of dollars that are at stake and so that for me was kind of the aha moment and maker really kind of made DeFi in many respects like you needed to have a stable unit of account minting die programmatically to then build everything on top of that but because with, without die it was almost impossible to build all these other money legos and the reality is what was really interesting to me was seeing the value of the collateral collapse 80% and die maintain its peg. And for me, that was the biggest stress that you say, okay, if you're able to withstand that, then this system is close to being anti-fragile and then, and then it becomes interesting. 
Yeah, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. It's interesting because the a lot of the funds that started around 2018 were the funds that had the access to the seed rounds for the first ever sort of product market fit crypto assets. So um, I think the reason there's not a lot of uh, crypto OGs that survived many cycles is because if you went all in on something, it basically went to zero, unless you were all in on um, on Bitcoin and and ETH. And since you were in crypto much, much earlier, how did you go through that transition? How did you avoid the PTSD of, I've seen all these things go to zero. How is yeah. this not just the next version? Yeah, maybe people are using this one a little bit differently. But um, yeah, how did you deal with that? Well, it's an ongoing process, I'd say. Uh, I think you know, I mean, we saw PTSD for March of last year and (laughs) every U.S. holiday now has like these drawdowns. But uh, no, I mean, I think for me, like I look at fundamental value and I compare like there's real trap. I mean, I I guess that's a big distinction. It's like I always cringe when investors say this time's different, right? This time is going to be different than 2017. Like, no, not necessarily. You know, like there will always be human psychology will always like market psychology will always exist. There will always be bubbles, no matter what industry you're looking at, because humans, the market pendulum swings to extremes from peer, from fear to euphoria. And the fundamentals, like typically things are not as bad or as good as they seem. Um, but what, I'll, what I think is different is so like comparing it to the Internet, right? In the 90s, you had all these businesses like Pets.com that were perhaps good ideas but just had terrible business models, like really inefficient. Like the license model is very different than like the software as a service. And you really have to have Google come in and have an IPO and, and teach people, wow, this like Google is fundamentally very, very different business. And, and so a lot of people were giving up on the internet right after the 1999 bubble crash. Like this is done, right? Um, and then you had Google and Amazon come out and say, and a lot of, it took investors time to like process it. It was different. Like Google's much, much different. Uh, and I think we're in that transition right now with crypto, where people haven't woken up to this idea that DeFi is this productive ecosystem that is cranking out cash flow and is like less than 5% of the entire crypto market cap. It has the most amount of innovation, the most amount of product market fit. And, I, you know, no matter how you slice it, I just think that there's there's a lot of productivity in this space. It's not vaporware. It's not like Cardano or stuff like that. You know, th- this has usage. It's serving a very critical, you know, use case that I, I think we're just barely scratching the surface. And to me, that's like, I take stock in that because I think my margin of safety is much, much larger. Like, uh, you know, is is this, are we in a bubble in certain pockets of DeFi? Maybe. Is NFTs like really taking, st- maybe. Like, I don't know. Like, I can't time the market. But what I can say is, look, this is fundamental value. And I don't think it's going away. How do you look at the fundamental value? I mean, I, people talk about um, TVL. People talk about uh, actual cash flow. What's important to you in terms of how you evaluate a project's potential uh, fundamental value? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it depends, right? I mean, if you're looking at an AMM versus like a money market, uh, you know, uh, TVL is interesting. Um, volume and turnover is also interesting. Uh, retention of users is also interesting. Um, and so I think collectively, we just look at all these metrics and say, okay, you know, um, you know, Compound and Ave are both interesting. Uh, it's not a winner-take-all market. Some, you know, Ave has certain assets that Compound doesn't do, and you know, it's, it's a massive market. So, like, you, you, we have positions in both, for instance. Uh, so, um, one of the things that we constantly do, back to your question, Jordan, on like PTSD, I think this industry offers you the ability to constantly re-underwrite your hypotheses. 
because it's like in real time we're able to monitor and like I'll, I'll tell you like what's the like aggregate collateralization ratio of maker and how much dye is outstanding and how what's the PSM and how much like MKR is going to be burned. That might change pretty dramatically. I mean, I think like I'm not wedded to any position in our portfolio. Like we don't typically do big movements. Like we're long term investors, but at the end of the day, like in open source, you know, anyone can fork your code. It's harder to fork a community, but it's possible. Uh, and so the best I think we can do as investors is just constantly be willing to re-underwrite our hypothesis and be proven wrong. You know, it's almost, you know, and so I think that's the distinction between venture. Venture is sort of like, yeah, set it and forget it for 10 years. It might work. I mean, I think ultimately this asset class has power law distributions. You could be really right. I mean, some of the investments in 2017 that you were sort of left for dead have now come back. Um, but I think it, um, so it pays to be patient, but certainly like, you know, you have, you're not talking about 10 Ks or 10 Qs and really, really basic information in the traditional markets. Like in real time, you're, these blockchains are data rich. So not processing that constantly is sort of doing a disservice to, to what you can do in this space. You touched on a bunch of things there that I want to uh, question, but I'm going to get baited into the ADA points you made. I don't want to get baited into it. I know, I know they're going to shout at me on Twitter again, but I'm going to get baited into it. Um, how do you think about um, assets like ADA? It seems like every cycle there's one of them where um, you know uh, either the like like OGs or the VCs or generally community consensus is anti this project. It kind of happened with Ripple. Um, it, it kind of happened with, uh, with Bitcoin Cash. Um, now it, it feels like ADA is the, is the one that has the gigantic market cap and uh, an army of people who sort of religiously believe that it's the future. And they know a lot about it. They, like, they've done their research to an extent, but um, there is a huge sort of divergence between people that think it's like vaporware and people that think they're putting their whole life savings into it. Uh, how does this happen? Yeah, look, I mean, I think I think probabilistically, is there a version of this world where ADA takes off? Possibly. Like, it's not zero. It's not 100. So none of this is binary, but I do think that it's hard for me to deviate from, from places where I see a lot of developers. Uh, and it really comes down to that, like developers, developers, developers. And it, so far, it's been Ethereum. There's interesting ecosystems cropping up in Cosmos and Polkadot and Solana. Um, and so I'm not dismissive of L1s. Certainly not. I mean, I think it's, I don't know over 1980, 1990, 2000s. Like, I, I'm not convinced to tell you that I'm investing in the Googles of the world. Maybe it's Ask Jeeves or AOL. And so, like, I keep an open mind. I constantly, like, I, 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 I am skeptical of certain personalities that, like, just move on to the next project without like seeing it through. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, from uh, that sort of top of mind for, for ADA. Um, but, but yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not dismissive. I think ultimately I think it'll be a multi-chain world and you're just going to see a lot of value transfers between them. You know, I think flows rise and like what they've captured in the NFT world is complementary to Ethereum because at the end of the day, we're so early in the awareness of crypto that, uh, some of the use cases, for instance, in Solana, in DeFi, are probably going to be ones that in Ethereum haven't taken off because high gas fees. And so, like, ultimately, like, I, I think it's net positive. The, the, the point that I want to like, convey is we, sometimes in crypto, we think too much in win-lose terms. And I understand like that. But I think most of it is win-win is my thesis. Uh, 
And so if Cardano succeeds, that's not to mean that Ethereum goes to zero. Like it may actually end up helping Ethereum in some capacity. I just don't know. Um, so long-winded answer, but like, uh, I'm not like dismissive. I'm just like, it's hard for me to like invest in things other when I don't see any traction, but I'll, like a very high or a valuation that I can't justify. But what you're saying is it's you're all- not super interested in what Dan Larimer is building next. Uh based on people sticking with it. I think he's going on to like his seventh project or something. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you like, um, I guess from first principles, like I think in back to your point, Jordan, like I guess there's like two, uh, the way I think of the world is two two types of investing. Like one is like trying to predict the future and maybe investing in Cardano is trying to predict the future. Like, is it going to take off? Is Dan going to build like something really interesting and be able to attract developers? I don't know of any manager in the history of investing that has been able to predict the future in a systematic way. You could have been right about Uber, you could have been, but a lot of it again is luck, I think in large part. Uh, It's obvious in hindsight and people like to take more credit than is actually there, but I think it's a lot of luck and a lot of right, like right timing. Um, Where our approach at Parify is more like, we just try to understand the present extremely well or to the best of our ability. Like what's going on in like today. Um, and, And I think that naturally takes us to DeFi. Uh, it's hard to like deviate from that. And, and, you know, it's probably like less sexy, I think. Well, we always try to make imaginations about the future will we'll, we'll take hold. But I mean, we're taking a view on where things will grow and how the ecosystem will evolve. But again, it's like, you know, I'm, I feel more comfortable investing and trying to understand what's going on right now. Uh, and that's the bet that I'll make every other day versus trying to be right about something else in the future. Yeah. The- that makes sense. I, I, I read something earlier uh, today about how um, often in in life uh, you only need to be right once if you like if you really dedicate yourself to um, to to the things you do. And I think in crypto it's especially true where the people who have made sort of real life changing several orders of magnitude um, net worth leaps they didn't have to be right a hundred times or even five times. They only needed to be right about something once and really, really, really commit to it. So um, whether it was synthetics, Arva, even just Bitcoin or Ethereum, Chainlink, um, people that have been real believers and had the patience um, to see their thesis uh, sort of come true. those are the people that have made real, like, you know, life-changing, uh, life-changing multiples. Mm-hmm. And I guess there'll be people listening to, listening to that and thinking, well, am I too late? The market's really frothy. People are buying tweets for m- multiple mil- millions of dollars. Uh, like a Beeple NFT just sold for 70 million. Um, if I want to be right only once, what do I do now? So what would be our advice to someone joining crypto now, they've just got swept up in a bunch of the hype um, and the, uh, you know, media attention. Um, what should they be thinking about and how should they be um, playing it in 2021, if that's the current year? Yeah, 2021. Yeah, it's a great question. So we, a lot of our LPs, like new investors in their fund, say, oh, we missed the DeFi train. I'm like, what are you talking about? Just let's, for a second, think about the, the like the transformation of the kind of, even Bitcoin. I mean, my view is that this is perhaps the most fascinating transformation of like socioeconomic change in, in since the industrial revolution. Like, you know, Bitcoin's still early in my estimation, like uh, is my view. Now, even you, you go deeper and you say Ethereum. Uh, I mean, there's a version of this world where Ethereum and DeFi are much larger than Bitcoin. 
Um, and DeFi in particular for me, you know, I'm not necessarily investing, I'm not necessarily making the thesis of like crypto total market cap, a trillion plus is going to grow 10x or order of magnitude. Um, I'm just saying the DeFi dominate, like the dominance of DeFi, which is now 5% is going to grow substantially, like, like 20, 30%. Um, and, and that's not necessarily predicated on central banks buying Bitcoin, which I guess the banks, the French central bank is exploring that or something. You know, I'm not making that. That is trying to predict the future. I'm just saying, just go on these Discord channels. And, and you could have been in this synthetic Discord channel, where it was Left 4 Dead, where it was Haven pivoting to synthetic. And you said, this is a team that hasn't given up. And the derivatives market is massive. You know, it's like, it's like financial markets are the size of, like, of your desk or like a piece of your desk. The derivatives market is the size of your house. Um, and so when you give people the, like for the first time ever, you have global untethered pools of capital moving at the speed of information. Like, what do you think that's going to do? Now, there's a lot of things that need to be figured out, regulatory stuff. Uh, you know, uh, uh, consumer protection, like a lot of these, this is why we're in the space um, to, to figure this stuff out. But, you know, I guess like investors like to go out and try to find the new shiny toy uh, out there. But I mean, the, the next Aave could be Aave, the next synthetics could be synthetics and the next compound could be compound, like, and the next Ethereum could be Ethereum. You know, it's, it's sometimes, you know, it's, it's things that are working and I've told you that there's clear traction. Sometimes it's just good to double down on that. Uh, but yeah. of course, like what betrays you is this pa being patient, right? Because uh, I heard it, this guy that bought the CryptoPunk for like uh, 6.9 million, mm -hmm. he tweeted something that would really, really resonated with me that is so true in this industry, which is um, time in the market will always be timing the market. And I mean, Kobe, like you were in super early, right? Um, but to your point, you need to have conviction and, and patience does pay off in this space. And I think it will continue to pay off. But, you know, it's hard, again, to, I would caution people to, you know, people want to make a quick buck. And that's true in biotech. It's true in some of these other industries. It's just really hard, right? How do you balance um, um, retesting your hypothesis, like you were talking about earlier, with the being patient concept? Are you, because it sounds like you can't really just rely on price for how you go about that. Like there's, you know, some fundamental components that you're, keeping in mind when you do it. So what are you, what are you looking at in differentiating those two concepts? Uh, it's the hardest thing we do. Tell you the truth. I mean, it, it, it's, it's really hard, I think, because in this asset class, you can be a venture capitalist, and high frequency trader and, and the market tempts you with both. Um, so I would say like, um, when we have a process internally of how we like as a team come, we value independent thinking and try to eliminate biases. So everyone in the team first needs to do independent thinking and we avoid jumping to conclusions and deferring judgment. So like if we see TVL drop 50% and turnover really collapse for a particular protocol that we're investors in, we'll say, okay, what's going on here? And I think it's tempting to just come to a conclusion. I'll just chop it and move on. Um, but I think, uh, you know, it's pretty fascinating. You have access to these teams, anyone really. I mean, these teams do like Discord and, and like they're really, really accessible. And so just talking to them, figure out what's going on. And I guess it, it depends. It, there's not a perfect answer to this, but um, I would say it is, it is very, very challenging. And I don't, uh, uh, that is, um, you know, knowing when to, I mean, we have risk parameters like a, you know, for instance, I'll give you an example. We were early in Aave, very early there. We just saw a team that hadn't given up left for dead, sort of like page three of Google page three of coin market cap or coin gecko now left for dead. But you would have seen Stani and DevCon 
uh, pre-COVID. And he has a team of like 10 people. You're just like, the, the network's trading on 10 million. At 10 people, human capital alone, you're in the money. Because if they go to Y Combinator, they could raise at 30. But of course, it's crypto. But you know what I mean? Compound will raise around at 50. Uh, and so you're saying, okay, well, this is interesting. Um, and, you know, we've, we've, We've doubled down on Ave. We we think it's you know uh, what Stani and the team do is fantastic, but we're constantly re-underwriting that. It's not to say that you know other protocols can come up and eat their lunch, um, and so um, yeah, it's it, it is tricky. And and if you're, I'm going back to um, imagining you're someone new to the space, you know. Um, looking to like get on board and you see all these valuations super high. And when you say, you know, we, we saw Aave, uh, there were a 10 person team. It was the middle of a bear market. They were raising a 10 or 30 million valuation or whatever. Um, that doesn't really exist now for, um, for people in the space. Like the 10 million valuations are basically gone. Like there's a, maybe a couple of them. Um, and the ones that, do exist. They generally do VC and seed rounds only for reg compliance purposes. Um, people that do do sales, their IDOs, you need to like win a raffle or like win the lottery to get into the sale. And then it sells out yeah, in half yeah. a second. So you need to like write a bot yeah. to, um, to even, even manage to buy. And then when you do buy, you realize that the fully diluted valuation is $17 trillion and 88% <laughs> of, of the tokens are owned um, by the debt. Or on a ten-year lock, um, yep. so how do you like? How do you deal with that when valuations are super, super inflated? Is is it like a a waiting game? Like just like sit out this, or is it like take a shorter-term bias for now? Like how how would you advise people? So a caution: um, I have noticed private valuations, like private deals, have gone a little out of hand, and I think the risk reward is is much much lower than what it is. I mean, we were doing deals of five million not too long ago. And now that what, it, what you could have gotten to five is now like a hundred for no good reason. And I was like, okay, there's a lot of risk. There's execution risk. Like, I don't know how this team's going to operate in a bear market. Um, it, it's trickier, but I guess like what I've thought now is so in the, on the public side, you look at something like a no name DeFi protocol. It's cranking out $500 million in revenue this year. If you kind of consistently look at volume over the last three months, you say, okay, you run rate that with a reasonable prediction, you're going to say, okay, it's going to crank out 500 million of revenue, of which it's going to distribute the token holders 80 million. Uh, and it's paid like per block basis. And, you know, it's trading at a $5 billion valuation. So the P ratio is roughly 60, 63 X. It's like, okay, interesting. We could have bought, like this time last year, we probably got in like five or, or 10, like literally distressed steel mail multiples left for dead. But now it's 60 reasonable i, I in like in, from my estimation like none of this is financial advice but i'm just now what do i comp that to i say okay let's look at a public fintech uh that is cranking you know two billion in revenue i don't know 100 it's burning 140 million this year uh and the market cap is like 140 billion so no semblance of, P, of, of of profitability and no one seems in traditional markets no one seems to care we, we've been in this ponzi for a lot since quantitative easing <laughs> but no one you know what I mean? It's like a game of musical chairs. It's it's easy money. Your risk parameters have gone down. You have mega funds like SoftBank really just pay up for everything because you're chasing yield. And it, it's going to come and, and bite you in the ass. Like at some point, that music will stop. And, you know, that's what I'm comping it to because, I mean, I think, I think what shattering the all-time high for Bitcoin and Ethereum really 
really kind of shatter people's thinking that this is a Ponzi because a Ponzi never recovers like that. And so it's like, okay, DeFi is working. It just showed you that it can. It's so early still. But now I think the comp is, okay, let me look at like, from an investor standpoint, the relative valuation from, you know, in traditional markets where terrible, like a lot of these VC bets will never, never see the light of day because they're never, like their, their unit economics are broken without, um, without like easy, cheap money, you would have never gone Uber off the ground or Airbnb. It would have been impossible. Um, and so, but, but I think the, the paradigm shift is, and I know I'm not getting too technical, but the paradigm shift is you've seen these DeFi protocols like Avi grow from zero in TVL to five, six billion. And bootstrapping market, like that alone, it doesn't apply to, to DeFi. I mean, I think that ability to bootstrap networks, whether it be a social network like BitCloud or like a DeFi protocol, I mean, that's community level ownership is really going to be the way that you bootstrap a lot of these new companies uh, and they're profitable and they're they're paying out a dividend. So like, you know, I guess Bain is an investor in our fund. They're, they do a lot of fintech. For them, investing in Parapy was less about like crypto, it was more about fintech. Like this is the next arc of innovation of fintech. Let's let's do a series A on Parapy, I guess. And so I call them and say, hey, what are you investing in? And now you literally just go through this example. Say, let me imagine a public company that is doing X, Y, and has this P multiple. They're like, you're telling me that this is a fintech startup. It's growing 100% year over year. It's like profitable. Like just that doesn't exist. Like that is the rare unicorn. Like hold on to it. Like, uh, And so I think more and more people wake up to that. Yeah, that, um, that makes a, a lot of sense to me. Now, um, these early stage projects, they do still exist. And being early on like a narrative um, or a theme of projects um, seems to do, uh, seems to like fare quite well. Um, again, not financial advice. I'm literally a moron. Um, but uh, like, what it, what do you see as some of the big narratives for um, for this year, and not to put it in the spot, I can prompt you with some stuff that I've been thinking about. And uh, feel free to avoid it all and say you are literally a moron. I've already claimed to be one. Um, but like you know, ETH layer two is really obvious because um, retail is completely priced out of uh, of Ethereum for doing most things. Um, derivatives was one that um, uh, was mentioned uh, relatively recently, and then EIP one whatever it is. I never fifteen fifty nine. Yeah, the number, EIP number, uh, the only important EIP of the year. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. mean that, ETH devs, please don't dump. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what, what, um, what, uh, what are the ones that you, like you and Parafy are like locking up for um, the the rest of the 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 rest of like this year and, and early next year? Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with certainly like L 2s um, That is one, uh, and really interesting developments there. Uh, I think we're not too far off from from having really interesting, like like functional L2s. Um, I think um, I'll come back to EIP fifteen fifty nine. But one which I'm really interesting is capital efficiency in DeFi. So as you know, like everything is over collateralized, and like cross margin doesn't exist for derivatives and stuff like that. So I think that's where like you can certainly improve a lot of the capital efficiency. So do under collateralized funds through like social delegation through Aave or some sort of like reputation layer in DeFi that allows you to create a social fabric to then do under collateralized loans uh, or do them at scale, like B2B lending, like what the RM bank is doing with cream and the whole urine ecosystem is interesting. Um, and so uh, I'm excited about that. I mean, I think, um, um, you know, at a very basic level, like 
you can really program like so the iron bank's interesting like or the idea of like protocol to protocol lending is interesting because you can you can actually define very specifically how those funds will be used and so um and so that 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 is massive i think it just unlocks like a lot of uh, or like even an amm right like uniswap v3 supposedly will like bring a lot of capital efficiency right it's 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 not very efficient to put all the capital and assume that all points of the curve are going to be traded against no it's typically range bound so i think a lot of people are thinking about that and and will unlock a lot of um, a lot of value the other one is really like new primitives like flash loans for instance are fascinating they they really collapse like they really like like squeeze out a lot of inefficiencies so that's exciting um so those are two and then more from our standpoint, I think like bridging the gap between traditional finance and DeFi is going to be a thing. You know, I think for a lot, like this has been a parallel universe, but there's a lot of interest from folks like Circle and other banks that, you know, at the end of the day, like crypto has always been a retail phenomenon, but, um, and I think it will continue to be that, um, but there will come a time where your traditional mom and pop or traditional consumer will say, hey, wait a minute, I want to earn 8% on, on my savings. Why, why you, Wells Fargo, are not offering that when Circle is? And I think that would really be the catalyst that other banks would say, I need to have a crypto strategy. And I think you're seeing that right now. Uh, but someone needs to help them. So I think that's where we step in and we'll actually hold their hand and say, okay, this, this, is, this is actually how you do it. Uh, let's let's do KYC pools of liquidity in Aave or Compound. Uh, so I think we're moving in that direction. And that, I think, ultimately catapults like TVL, like orders of magnitude. Right? Um, yep. The last point that I'd say is better standards and, and insurance and risk management. Because obviously these there's a two one or two hacks every day. I think we're still like figuring out like, yeah, this innovation is great, but this whole paradigm of like the Facebook mantra of let's build things like uh, and break things like build fast and break things just doesn't fly in DeFi. So I think like better insurance protocols, better standards and just more Lindy to the space will be will help everything that I just said, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think I, I definitely agree on the last one. I, I, I forgot that off my, my list, but um, I spoke to a project doing the sort of reputation layer stuff, um, I think maybe even literally yesterday. Um, and it seems like there's a, a few people uh, thinking and trying these kind of um, sort of uh, like on-chain credit scores Um now uh and as under collateralization starts happening these uh insurance products and uh, are gonna also drive up in um in, in relevance um so i think it's pretty interesting now if you're a um if you're someone that has just heard this and you're like great i'm gonna a pin Parify Capital just gave me some lean financial advice. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. Now <laughs> I'm going to go all in to uh, the first layer two rug pull that I see on Uniswap. Um, what advice would you give people? Like, how should people think about um, betting on new narratives? Or maybe a way, a better way to phrase the question is. How do you think about betting on those new narratives? So, like, you know, you've got layer two, you've got maybe you've got Arbitrum, you've got um, Optimism, you have Starkware, um, then you have these derivative projects, and there's honestly like a hundred teams doing the, mm -hmm. pretty much the same thing with slight deviations. Um, how do you make a bet on that sort of category, and then how do you make bets on particular projects or teams within them? Yeah, it's a great question. Like, I think, um, you know. If L2 works, there may be some value accrual to like Arbitrum, for instance, like the same way that there's value accrual to ETH. Um, and still TBD, like the monetary policy of these L2s and, and value accrual. But but I think the, the for me, the things that accrue most value is, you know, how much more usage 
what does Synthetics have or Uniswap have or SushiSwap have on an L2 environment? And, and then it's like, okay, well, yeah, like I think that that might be the best bet in this case, right? Because it's just going to unlock more usage of the underlying protocols that, you know, I think like there's this like sentiment on certain VCs and investors, which are like critical of Ethereum. It says, oh, these high gas fees are what's going to be the demise of Ethereum. I'm like, hold on a minute. You're telling me that like people are going to literally jump through barbed wires through MetaMask and then pay these exorbitant fees to use something. Isn't that telling you there's clear product market fit? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you just sort of invert the logic. It's like in the internet days, like you had these block like cell phones, I guess, like people carry around. They were super expensive. Roaming and internet was like prohibitively expensive, but it justified CapEx. It justified L2 innovation in this case. So for me, it's like, I, I think you're just going to see much, much more usage of the underlying L1 money Legos. Um, and so I think that's like perhaps the, the more interesting bet because you, you already you already know that something works in a ver- in a lot of like, in a very friction like when there's a lot of friction there's high gas right uh and so then you say okay what if that goes away then you could any my view is anytime you unlock friction in a system it it sort of unlocks like non-linear consumer behavior and so in this case i think you might expect to see much much more usage of these protocols in l1 that's almost exactly what we saw in like the internet parallel too right because everything was 56k and you know, insiders kind of knew what could happen once layer one, if you will, like the connection bandwidth uh, scaled, but it took actually getting whatever DSL and then cable to be available to consumers before they could start, you know, using the apps that people were ready to develop. And it was just the restriction was the pipes and Ethereum's kind of in the same spot without an L2, right? I think so. Yeah. I haven't thought about it before in terms of like that value though actually can go straight back to the same apps that are constricted, like the Aves of the world or, you know, how many more people are going to tap into Ave because it now it's not $300 to get in and out. Yeah, exactly. Cause sometimes like if you have, I don't know, like less than a thousand, a thousand bucks or 10,000 bucks, gas can really eat in, in, into your return. But now you can actually take that deposit in Ave and start earning, you know, five, six, 10, 15% on your dive. And it becomes much, much more compelling at that point, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess there's also going to be a lot of use cases unlocked that um, potentially now are just prohibited by um, gas fees and, and et cetera. I was in a, a Twitter thread yesterday or today with Tunes, I think, who was saying, um, I want to compound my uh, I want to compound my staking reward, um, but I can't do it because I've got to wait until the um, the gas to do the restaking is actually worth even the reward that I would get. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of b- being able to daily daily compound your um, your staking reward, you have to wait, and it, it's not really worth it. Um, very 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 simple example, but you might see projects that were just sort of technically impossible before, um, uh, based on uh, how pro- prohibitive um, it, it would be to uh, to make transactions. Um, be, be unlocked by by this so I, I find that uh pretty interesting as well um yeah i'd love to talk a little bit about how a little more about how you allocate your portfolio like specifically when you're making a new bet on something how large do you go like 
the other day, Arthur um, from Defiant said we're thirty percent of the funds in one of their projects. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah. think he put thirty percent in on day one. Uh, I think uh, it's yeah. grown, grown to be thirty percent. But um, yeah. like, what sort of size do you bet, and and how how does it change based on like conviction and and, and upside and stuff like that? Yeah. So I get it from uh, kind of first principles. Eighty percent of our portfolio is liquid. The other twenty we allocate to like private deals. Try to be first check in, really super early. That could be, end up growing a lot, but just from a deployment standpoint, that twenty percent is private. On the on the public on the liquid stuff, um, yeah, similar to what Arthur was describing. So like there there came a time where Ave grew to like a third of our portfolio, but it was like five less than five. It was like two percent of our portfolio, uh, and we had you know that is just from a risk management standpoint. Like we just there's policies that we just have that we need to size down or like, and so we're an open-ended fund. So we continue to raise capital. So that really kind of allows us to allocate new, new funds into other projects to kind of rebalance portfolio as opposed to sell. We mm-hmm. we don't like to sell. Uh, and so that is, gives us the flexibility that perhaps other funds might not, but yeah, like our largest position is like 22% of the portfolio, 20. Um, so it's not, it's not 30, but uh, it's, it's still, you know, we run a fairly concentrated book. Like we have 10 core positions, eight or 10, uh, and each of them are like, you know, that's on the liquid between, side. That's on the liquid side. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cause at the end of the day, like, you know, we, this is the, the analogy you guys might have heard, like keep your portfolio, like your family, right. It's, it's impossible to track more than like certain, like we like to be concentrated and go deep. Um, and yeah, we do have a, like other experimental positions back to your question, Jordan, like on sizing. Sometimes what we do is we'll start with a bite-sized position. Be like, Oh, is this interesting? Uh, we're just kind of monitor. Like you need to have some value to like pay attention to it, and so we'll just monitor it. We'll talk to the team. We'll continue to buy if we like it, and then just grow the position over time. Uh, and sometimes that's that's the only way to do it. Otherwise, you'll move the market a lot, or just you know. Um, so so yeah, but I, I think like we have kind of core positions that we continue to add and build conviction on. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, the chat just said, "Who the fuck is Jordan?" That's me, mate. I <laughs> <How you> do. <laughs> I had to stop looking at the chat. They've been trolling me for like 10 minutes. I had to turn off my video. I was crying from people talking about me in the chat. I also also saw in the chat they were were spamming uh, when parafy conditioner, which conditioner and which shampoo. (laughs) (laughs) Great hair, man. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) There's there's this NFT that I'm going to NFT, you know, my shampoo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> back to uh back to crypto i'm gonna start ignoring the chat again um so uh i i mean we work together on uh on on lido so i've experienced this firsthand but you also um you also mentioned it um at the, at the very start is that you you like to be very active and feel like a, a an, an operator and feel like a an additional sort of team member or, or an additional team for uh your your projects can you tell me a little bit um i mean i already know so you, you could you tell them a little bit yeah. about what that's like in practice and uh and and why that's important to you um because I, I I spoke to a, a founder the other day that I, I'm backing and they, they said this incredible quote that was basically like, most of the money in crypto is completely useless, especially the new money, especially the like non-crypto native money, where mm-hmm. all they've got to offer is money. They just give you money and then they send you emails being like, when update, when moon. They're just like the telegram when moon yeah. boys, but they're in suits. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. I, 
I'd love to know why that's important to you and uh, how you've um, how you've uh, like sort of demonstrated or uh, like uh, enacted that. I guess. Yeah. I mean, we do it uh, more from our perspective. Like, I'm not convinced you're going to be able to win in crypto if you don't take a very active approach. Um, and that means, so like, I'll give you examples, like voting. You have a lot of, to- you need to be voting, right? Um, and, and, and voting thoughtfully because everything is on chain. So if you start voting random stuff or things that are actually not, that are subtractive to the protocol, then, then there's a record of that. And so there's, uh, you know, you're accountable for all of that. Um, the other one is staking. You know, you need to secure the network. You need to provide like the value at risk. And it's unfortunate because I see, to your point, a lot of funds that just are hoarding these tokens and not staking them. First of all, you're getting diluted, so your LPs might have a problem with that. Um, and second, like you know, it's it's the whole point of like staking is to have you know to, to secure the network and like you know and, and add value that in that capacity. So yeah, it's it's, it's really kind of unfortunate because there's a lot of funds that just don't do that. They don't vote. They don't. Um, they don't stake, uh, and 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 it's just like, well, then what's your role at that point? Um, wh- what's interesting though is like in this space, like there are individuals that just can can act as investors, right, and add more value than funds, and so it's actually ruthlessly competitive, and it and it will only continue to be more competitive. So from our standpoint, we're always like when we talk to teams, it's like, what have you done for us lately? And you know, it's it it's sort of there's a level of accountability in crypto that is everything is transparent. And I think teams, I mean, founders, we are in a very founder friendly environment right now where, you know, to your point, capital is a commodity and these deals are not large. And so you need to really just go out of your way to, to add value. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think like, you know, a lot, a lot of what so we did with Badger recently. So Badger were like spun out. They, they, they didn't raise any capital. They grew, um, to a point that became really interesting for us. And we, we went to them and said, Hey, we, we'd like to buy, like the treasury needs to diversify, you know, and, and we'd like to buy some Badger. And everything was like actually very transparent. They went to the community and said, there's just a proposal. They didn't name us, but it said, this is a proposal. We're going to diversify the treasury. It needed to get the community's approval. Once it was approved, we ended up and bought a lot, like a lot of Badger. Um, and I, I would think that like more and more projects are going to go that route because it's actually, you bootstrap a community. It's a fair launch. Like I have my reservations about fair launches, but done well. Like I think um, it just like you know anonymous frogs on, on Twitter can compete head to head to a fund, and that's that's awesome, honestly, because it keeps us accountable. That we just need to hustle. Like the Avis mantra, which is we just try harder, and you need to try harder in this environment to win the good deals. Otherwise, you're going to get blown out. You're, you're not going to you're going to end up overpaying, and 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 that complacency. You know, it's easy to do a private deal at 150, like, you know, at 200 million with no traction. It's just easy because you can put a lot of money to work and that's fine and you acquire the logo. But I'll tell you, I think that level of complacency is going to come and show in spades in the bear market. It was like, what the hell were we doing? And it's easy to do that because a lot of funds have raised a lot of capital, but you just need to stay disciplined, I think. So, so what is your advice to any founders or projects that might be listening that are looking to raise? Um, how do you like weed out the um, the the good investors, the people that you should have on your side, um, from the um, you know suits that are going to sell two thirds in the first year to like just de-risk and like absolutely never vote in your arrogant DAO? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a good. I mean, I think like I always tell founders go and talk to other founders, do your references. I mean, this space is very a lot of this information is known and. And I think like, 
yeah, that, that to me is probably the most important one. And just look at the, like, look at what they've done on chain. You know, uh, I guess like, you know, have they voted, have they staked? Um, and, and a lot of what we've encountered now is, you know, founders like to ask us for stuff even before we fund. And that's actually a really good relationship. Like we, you know, it builds, like you start to get to know that team. Uh, for Ave, for instance, we went to Stani and I said, hey, look, I think we need to redesign Aveonomics. Uh, here's a proposal. Before he even gave us another, before the round, it's just like, you need to show value up front. I think really, like, that's kind of what you need to do in this environment to win deals. Um, and, and it's great for founders because they end up getting a lot of, like, resources and uh, help uh, even before raising any any dime. And so I think that's, uh, I, would, I would certainly like to take advantage of that if I'm a founder. Yeah. Um, thanks for sharing. So uh, it brings me to my next question, which I really want to ask you. Um, mm-hmm. Like, as, like, an kind of like an operative VC uh, or an operative investor that likes to get involved does like suggest, you know, I think we need to update tokenomics or I think we need to change this. Um, how do you deal with, and has there been an example of uh, situations where you feel very passionate that this is the right way to go and the team's like, well, we completely disagree with you. And I know a lot of these things are done by done by voting, but um, often the original founders have a lot of sort of figurehead uh, weight in sort of um, political um, political or uh, social influence. Um, so I'd love to know if there's been an example of that, or if not, generally how you think about those things. Is it just up to them? Um, no, yeah, I mean, there's some examples. Like, um, I think, uh, you know, I've for a long time thought the maker can be really improved upon. I mean, we, I think makers is, is a foundational piece in the space, but it doesn't make sense for MKR holders to be voting on every single parameter. You know what I mean? Like it's just really inefficient. Uh, a lot of MKR holders are not very well equipped to vote on what the stability fee for the new vault should be. I mean, they're not, it, the cognitive load of like governance is really, really high. Right. I mean, it's impossible for, if you're not doing this like almost full time or have like a dedicated resource within your team, that is constantly monitoring maker, it's really unrealistic and people are going to vote in a very bad way or just not very informed. Um, but they like to pontificate, right? Everyone likes to pontificate about all kinds of shit. And it's like, guys, like, no, like it's not your place or let elect like a representative democracy. So I think a lot of the pitfalls that we're going to see and start seeing, I think this problem will be just more acute is this like governance heavy protocols that I think, um, it might not work as much, I think. I mean, I understand the whole point of governance tokens and giving everyone a vote, like, yes. But I think if you look, look no further than political systems, like there's a reason why you elect uh, politicians or there's a reason why you elect members of a community to make informed decisions and you should compensate that. It's, it's probably a better model and maker to elect two or three people from the community, like Synthetics did with their Spartan Council, and tell them, okay, you guys are going to be compensated and you're going to be held accountable to what you do. And there's like, a, it's an actual function. Whereas, you know, a lot of VCs are just voting on random shit on Maker and it's like, well, like, no. And I think it's stalled Maker in some capacity. They've been relatively slower to onboard collateral. They've been, you know, it's sort of been a sleepy network. It's a a behemoth. But I think that's sort of what I think is holding it back, where there's just a lot of like, um, a lot of discussion, but not a lot of action. And, And that's a case where governance has actually been slow. And so, yeah, that's just one example, I guess. Yeah, um, that um, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah, it, it, it is interesting. And it, you, as you were talking about, you know, this sort of uh, slow governance heavy sort of bureaucratic uh, environment, I couldn't help think of um, 
back in like 2016, 2017, when Bitcoin was struggling a lot with sort of the forks, a lot of like the politics, and it, it felt a little bit like not much could get um, could get done uh, because people were so dogmatic about what Bitcoin was or what it was supposed to be. And there was so much um, sort of infighting between people that believed uh, different things. Um, and you've sort of seen on um, Ethereum a lot more of an open, uh, open-minded open attitude to like, you know, just build stuff and they'll, they'll come. Um, and you've, because of that now, you know, 90% of the uh, crypto things that I use on a sort of weekly basis are built on Ethereum. Um, do you think that there is any of this um, attitude going back towards the Bitcoin ecosystem? Are you, are you as a fund seeing much um, DeFi on, on Bitcoin? I know there's a couple of projects like yeah. sort of cropping up. You know, I, I haven't. Uh, I know Maneeb from like Blockstack likes to think that like Ethereum is just like a sandbox for what will ultimately just not be built on Bitcoin. I, I don't ascribe to that view necessarily. Like I think it's like, well, I always come back to the fundamental questions. Like why hasn't it been built on Bitcoin? Right. Like I understand that you like, there's some interesting developments on the smart contract side, or like, I guess like the equivalent of a smart contract in Bitcoin. Um, is it possible? Maybe, but I, I just sort of think uh, this is, it hasn't been developed. And I think there's a reason for that. Um, but it's possible. Like, I, I don't know, like, uh, what have you seen? Because I, I haven't seen much. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of discussion that it could be built on Bitcoin, but it's like, yeah, we're going to build it, but it doesn't get built. So it's ultimately... Well, <laughs> what would even happen on Bitcoin though? Because you're really just doing stuff somewhere else because Bitcoin's such a narrow yeah. scope and then you're settling it back mm-hmm. in some way. Like you're putting a record on the Bitcoin chain is really all you're doing. Um, but Bitcoin's got yeah, I mean, a very they, narrow they, scope to what it's going to do in the first place. So I don't understand why people have to like act like they're a one versus the other type of thing. Yeah, I, it's a great point, Brian. Because I, I don't understand this maximum. But like, uh, you know, like like that, that was our thesis on, on Badger. Badger's just a lever bet on Bitcoin, productive Bitcoin, like Bitcoin moving Ethereum to capture yield. Um, and I think like, it's a one percent of all bitcoins in Ethereum. Uh, I think that number will probably continue to grow uh, with the right security guarantees and trade-offs. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's always been interesting to me. Like, I get that you were early. I get that you love Bitcoin, but like, for a technology that is this early and innovating, like, unlike any other industry, like, <laughs> you realize that that rigidity is going to get like you're going to miss opportunities. Maybe not get blown out because you're to your point. Bitcoin's Bitcoin. I think it doesn't need to do anything other than be like a very rigid like very secure store value and that that's totally fine but i i've never understood this maximalism that uh, uh i understand tribalism i don't understand maximalism yeah me, i have a couple uh, of questions around the bear market um because you talked yeah. about discipline for the bear market and you know mentioned some stuff outside of that so how do you prepare as a firm and as a firm you have lps who put money in your firm they can uh, you know, redeem their funds at some point. They usually, historically, LPs do such things at the worst possible times. So, <laughs> how do you how do you take profits on the way up or prepare for redemptions? Do you keep cash on the sideline? Will you like prevent yourself? How do you prevent yourself from getting forced liquidated because your LPs want to leave mm-hmm. when you know things get a little harder? Yeah. Uh, so we have a three year lockup. Okay. So we that only want patient capital. <laughs> 
Yeah, relatively patient capital. I mean, I think three years is like 15 in traditional markets. Um, but, you know, um, so, so that helps. I guess we we typically, I mean, we screen LPs a lot. I mean, this is these are people that are sophisticated and just uh, we think are going to be in for the long haul. Um, I think in um, not, so from a concentration standpoint, I think there are certain funds that have very few LPs that like one or two LPs is like 30% of the fund. That That's a risk. We, a lot of our, a lot of the capital is our capital, like principal capital. So it, it, it and not a single LP is like more than 5% of the fund. Okay. Um, but we're always back to your point on allocation. We're, we're always typically deployed. We might rotate away from like T5 to beta, which is Bitcoin and Ethereum. But for the most part, we were, you know, again, it's, we're, you know, we, we rotate and rebalance basically. So like going into the election in November and December, we said, Hey, there, there's some uncertainty here. Uh, there was some whispers of regulatory stuff that, that we said, look, it, it's probably better to like park new capital here and, and be defensive and go to Bitcoin. Uh, and so we, we did a lot of that. So like new capital, we just went a lot, like all into Bitcoin. Um, but we didn't change like core positions. We just new capital. We just put in Bitcoin and more defensive. And so like, that's just one example where we say we would, I think holding cash is not something that we do. Um, we typically like to be fully deployed. Uh, on taking profits, uh, you know, it's, it's tricky. Like, I, I don't know. I, we're, we're never, I guess we do things that protect us in some capacity. Like we're, we're never levered more than like 10% of our fund. Um, and, and so, so, you know, I think a lot of the volatility in this space is like macro for selling and levered traders like that greed that you see in the market. We actually take advantage of that because we see funding rates go above two, like point two, like 20 basis points. We're like, okay, we're just patiently waiting for this to come down a bit and cool down. So yeah, I, I think like not playing with leverage um, is something that is quite helpful for us. Um, so, yeah, but but generally we're, we're not shorting per se. Uh, we we might just go to Bitcoin and Ethereum, and but but shorting in this market I think is a very expensive, and so not something that we typically do. Cool. Yeah, I um saw a uh, question in the chat. It said, "Topically, do you have any OTC gone bad stories?" Oh, <laughs> not that that's uh, based uh, on anything recent. Um, uh, huh. I mean, from our perspective, we sometimes like we, yeah, we we've lost one or two OTC trades. Like we do a lot of work for the team. We negotiate a price, and they come back and say, ah, no, the price moved. And so, you know, but but nothing of uh, nothing of no juicy stories as uh, as as have come as of late. Uh, none of that has happened to us. No. I saw a, another question as well. Maybe I've just uh, I've just lost it. Oh yeah, if Parify misses out on an early stage deal that they wanted to get in, or perhaps you passed on and then realized that you were wrong and changed your mind, um, what's your approach to getting a position afterwards? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a great question. It, ha it happened to us a lot. Um, I think there's two kinds of errors that you can make. One is like an error of process, an error of outcome, and the second was an error of outcome. So like Alpha Finance, for instance, I'll give you an example. We don't have a position on Alpha, but that was a, that was a miss for us because we had talked to the team and you were coming off of DeFi summer where like, you know, yield farming came down and and I think we were just, there was some fatigue, right? And so we looked at Alpha and we said, this is just another farm. Um, and, but yeah, we talked to the team. We said, this is a really smart team. Like Tasha and the team are very, very smart um, and they build. And so 
for me, the error there was a process, like an error process where I dismissed it. This is just a farm, right? And, but we had seen the roadmap and say, okay, they have more, you know, the farm is just a Trojan horse to then build like stickiness and then build a whole suite of products around it. Um, and so we missed that. Uh, we, we, uh, and it hurts. Uh, and so what we've done since is I think that lesson we applied to Badger because Badger also looks and feels a lot like alpha and, you know, just a, just a Bitcoin farm. But I think, you know, being open-minded and saying, okay, what can you do once you warehouse a lot of this Bitcoin? Well, that allows you to do some interesting things. And so, you know, I guess like that was the, the, the lesson from, from alpha that, um, that we corrected, I guess, corrected in some capacity by investing in another protocol that we think resembles something what Alpha is doing. I think learning from your mistakes might be a bit above our chat chat members. Uh, I think that one's <laughs> over. I think there's no hope for them. <laughs> uh, a lot of people in chat are spamming super cycle hopium, please. Super cycle question. Do you believe in the super cycle? And someone <laughs> tweeted me tweeted me a photograph of, uh, not a photograph, it's not a picture because he's not real, but it was Superman on a bike that was made out of his own li- eye lasers and it just said super cycle. So I've got to ask yeah. it. Um, do you believe in the super cycle? Um, well, like I wouldn't be investing my career if I didn't think this was the most fascinating, <laughs> most powerful transformation. No, I'm dead serious. Like you're like, setting us yeah. up to say no. It feels, yes. like, <laughs> it feels like it feels like you're building I, us do, up, and do, then you go. No, 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 no. I mean, do I? There's no but. I, I think. I mean, I think this will radically transform finance, DeFi in particular, and I think you're just—it's a speck of dust in your room that you don't see. Within crypto, it's small. Um, and, and I don't think, I think most people are, you know, it's just sort of this Peter Thielism of like, what do you believe in that others don't? Uh, and I, and I think I fundamentally believe if, I mean, finance just offers. So like, let's just walk through a certain questions. Okay. For super cycle, like, um, I'll invert and say, do you think that finance in traditional world is has caught up to the internet? Is your finance, like if is your finance, like the way you interact with your bank and your money, your relationship with money is like an Amazon like experience. Yeah, of course not. That, yeah, I mean, and so like that to me, just it hasn't. There's a reason for that because the internet never solved that problem, moving money without a middleman. So, like, I think like my thesis is I don't know like Bitcoin what it will do. I think it's very interesting that like the there is this dynamic. And Sue mentions it. Like the higher the price goes, like the more it becomes less of a reputational career risk for a lot of people. So like, I, I think that in one version of that world that just Bitcoin becomes like very self-referential and just very reflexive. Um, but like in DeFi, I just think that, uh, you know, in the same way that like you did this distinction between an internet business and a non-internet business, like right now you look at crypto, non-crypto business. I think just like, there's really no reason why banks shouldn't be operating in DeFi. They're perhaps the most motivated to use this technology because the only department that keeps growing in their divisions is compliance and back office nonsense. But you can just automate that through a smart contract. And regulators, I'll tell regulators all day long, look, you can embed risk programmatically in a smart contract. The smart contract cannot be manipulated. I mean, it can be hacked, but it can't be manipulated like BitMEX can. So like, I think there's, there's, look, there's a lot of wood to chop, but I, you know, Again, like I, I do think that this is a, a mega trend and a mega cycle where it's just sort of you open a door and you see a way to do things that are just much more efficient. Like there's really, I don't think we're going to go back and it's just a matter of time. If you're patient enough, this will be, I think, explosive. Much more much more so perhaps than the internet. Do you, th- um, do you think so, DeFi pricing can decouple from the 
uh, like Bitcoin yeah, yeah. price action? Because the way mm -hmm. you're looking at these dApps and stuff is a completely different framework. Uh, do, you, do you expect that to happen over the coming years? You, you actually read my mind because I knew I was missing something. Yeah. So like historically, there's been very tight correlation between crypto assets. Like everything is treated as a risk on asset. That's fine. Like uh, whatever Bitcoin does, then you multiply beta for ETH and then alts. Uh, but I think, yeah, it's in, there's a very credible chance, I think, that this there will be a massive decoupling between crypto within crypto assets. Because you have on one camp non-productive crypto, and on another, you have productive digital assets that like are earning you yield and you're lending and borrowing and insuring against. So like, I, I think like paired with like the, the macro environment of record low yields and, 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 you know, M2 growing at a parabolic rate. I just think that like, it's hard for me to think uh, that like, we won't see a massive re-rating of DeFi. Do you do you think that DeFi Summer was actually sort of like the test pump version of this? Because everyone called DeFi Summer an alt season, but it was really DeFi season because it wasn't. Mm -hmm. It was like an alt alt season, right? Where a lot of altcoins they just didn't do anything, and it was only DeFi that was sort of repricing. So, do you not think that it actually kind of happened once already, and and just needs to sort of repeat that um, in the future? Yeah, yeah. I mean, none of this is financial advice, but. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's I, called it, up only it, TV. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but uh, in all seriousness, no, Jordan, you're right. I mean, I, I think uh, you, you, we go back to these things like you combine it with an L2 environment and like, you know, all the composability between these protocols. Like there's just some fascinating use cases now that I think, uh, yeah, I, you know, our yields going to be like, it's not sustainable when you see, I mean, a word of caution, right? It's not sustainable where you see like, 10,000% APYs. Like, if you don't know where the yield is coming from, you're the yield. <laughs> like, like, full, no, no, no it's, it's a warning because I, I think, like, you know, anything that's too good to be true will always be too good to be true. But I do think that, like, this DeFi summer, you know, wait till you see big banks come out. Wait till you see these on-ramps just become much more easier. Like, like an interesting proposal is, like, uh, Mirin on Sushi. So think about all the idle assets in an exchange. Forget about, like, traditional finance. All the idle assets in an exchange. Now make them productive. Deposit them in an AMM or deposit them in an Aave or Compound or Urine Vault. Like this is the thing. Like I think in back back to PTSD. So in March, right? Everyone was freaking out. This is done. Pack up your shit. Go. We're done. The world's gonna end. Not me. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like um, you have a great tweet that says like, "Remember this moment where you felt that the world was gonna collapse, and then and then remember when the price is off like ten x or something." Uh, which is so true. But I think, um, you know, the where I'm going with this is like, you know, people never, people hate to sit on cash. You might have like very violent movements like that happen in March where like, you just need to say like, this is survival mode for like two weeks that I just want to make sure that I can, you know, live to see the day because I'm, I'm bullish on this. And I just, I just need to protect my principle. And this happened in 08 too, in the global financial crisis. There was a huge, huge wealth transfer between different institutions. And like, it was a huge like rattling of markets. But three months later, people wanted to plug. And, and I think like structurally, the world is like coming up with some pretty in interesting developments of like underfunded pensions and low yield environment and people taking unnecessary risk and traditional venture. I think that will, I think that's a net positive for crypto, candidly, where, you know, you have a, a very different way of doing things um, and offers candidly a path forward. So in short, I, I, I do ascribe partially to the to like the super cycle theory um, because it, it is different. 
this time is much different than 2017 in DeFi at least. There's the Cardanos of the world that, uh, you know, not to pick on just Cardano, but there there are there is still there is still vaporware. Need Charles, in this come on. Yeah, <laughs> well, there is there is still vaporware as it, as there is in any industry, right? You know, and so parsing through that for us it leads us to DeFi. Uh, it's not to say that we're dismissive of NFTs or other stuff. Like NFTs actually could be a, a fascinating funnel to onboard new users. Um, but I was just looking at the stat, like, um, so out of the all, I think like three and a half percent of all active Ethereum wallets, like these are wallets that have more than some balance, have interactive DeFi protocols. And to me, that's just like mind blowing. I think there's a uh, pretty severe chance of just massive disbelief going on now, or will go on, especially if we get like a broader dip in markets, because anyone that's been trading alts for a long time, or even if they've only been in here a couple of years, it's like you're used to alts going down 95, 98, 99% in a bear market, and then having massive uh, underperformance relative to Bitcoin pretty much through a throughout a bull market until there's these like blasts of altcoins performing, like an alt season or something. And even with DeFi summer, everything ran, good stuff, dumb stuff, everything ran, and then even the good stuff drew down, what, 80% or something as Bitcoin ran up. And it felt like the same thing mm -hmm. over again. So it's just, it like, it's very difficult, even though we've had a lot of really smart people come on and talk about it being different. It's very difficult as a trader uh, or even psychologically as a human to think like, <laughs> I can hold these bags and it's not, I'm just getting dumped on by a bigger money, you know? Um, yeah. How do we Yeah, I mean, ultimately, that? like, no, look, uh, you're right, bro. I mean, at the end of the day, like you need to, your worst enemy is your mind. You, this is the problem in this industry. Like you have, it's venture and it's high frequency trading and a click of a button, you can change your entire portfolio. Yeah. And it's just, it's just the hardest thing that we do. But I think you want to build convexity in your portfolio. You want to be patient, like position yourself knowing that you're going to want to do dumb, dumb stuff at every single point <laughs> of the journey. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and I mean, that's, it's true, right? I yeah, think. Um, I mean, I'm not here to t like. I've done dumb stuff. I, I've I've sold at the worst time ever, at, like literally tick the bottom, um, and and you know these PTSD haunts you. But I think the best that I can do, candidly, is not play around too much with leverage, um, and just stay close with the teams. I love when I go and talk to. I remember meeting Kane, and this is like the Binance conference. Like it was like 2018. Synthetics hit like five cents. And he was like, I don't know, like you could just look at Kane and he was like, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Like the market will just do its thing. But ultimately he just continued to believe in that and, and continue to build and continue to recruit really smart people. To me, that's like the best that I can do. Uh, I'm not, I don't understand technicals or like a, a lot of other stuff that other people might be way smarter and like can predict this sort of stuff. But when I look at that and I think the use case is there, and it can plug in into DeFi, then I sort of like take stock in that. And, and I, so, so yeah, look, I mean, at the end of the day, like is a hundred percent of my portfolio in synthetics? No, because I will, but, but you know what I mean? Like it's positioned in a way that like, I'm willing to be patient and, and see through the, 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 the probable, the probabilistically weighted scenario where synthetics is massive and like is in an L2 environment is like trading all these synths and like gives access to people to trade like derivative products. Like, but it's not a hundred percent, you know, like, so I, I think like, uh, 
portfolio sizing is super important. Leverage is super important. Uh, and then just staying close to the teams. Like, honestly, go and troll Discord channels and talk yeah. to these teams. One I more. like the idea that um, that your biggest enemy is yourself. Because I, I always see, uh, people always tweet me uh, when, when it goes down and they say, why is it going down? Is it whales manipulating? Is it some news? Is it the India ban or China ban? China bans Bitcoin again. Um, or, and a lot of people always make references to the market maker being this sort of external <laughs> singular entity the, that the is trading yeah that is trading against you and that's your biggest enemy and I think you only have to outtrade yourself like all of my worst trades they weren't because of a market maker or because uh you know whatever it was because I didn't get enough sleep I stressed myself out and uh I created some narrative in my head that I like eventually defeated myself and was like, fuck mm-hmm. it. I don't care. I, I got to get out of this yeah. position. Yeah. Um, so I like the idea that you just got to outtrade yourself. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the last thing I'll say is like in 2017, you didn't have like stable coins as you have today and the ability to earn a pretty nice yield on your stable. Coin. So like, it's a much more productive closed, like thermo thermodynamic ecosystem where it retains a lot of the energy, at least in DeFi. So, what? but yeah, you know, you can, you know, one kind of narrow thing that I was thinking about as you were talking about DAOs and under collateralization, um, some of the attempts that I've seen so far, like you know, I think you mentioned the Iron Bank, is like a narrow focus, um, lower collateral- collateralization loan, and that enables it to occur. The reason things are over collateralized is because they don't know what you're going to do with the money, and therefore they don't know if they mm-hmm. can manage the risk of it as a lender. As you get to like more and more under collateralized stuff, do you think DAOs will essentially have employees or like humans involved in bringing those collateralization levels down to where DeFi can actually put out the same type of loans that the traditional banking system can? Yeah, it's a good question. I think so. Like, uh, there's a protocol called um, not Union, but um, there's one that is essentially mimicking what Muhammad Yunus has done with microcredits, like. Uh, uh, you know, uh, like the Grammy bank uh-huh. where, you know, if I know you, Brian and you, Jordan, like, you know, I think like people hate the social pressure people like you will repay as opposed to buy like some, like you, the, pr- the social pressure to repay is very strong if you know who your counterparty is. And so you, you form these, these micro collectives, uh, and which, which in the aggregate can become quite large. Um, and I think, I think we can see some of that, right? Where I, so here's, here's one scenario. So you, Brian, need, I don't know, like a million bucks and, and I'll supply it to you. Um, and, but in order to get you this collective, that million bucks might not come from me. It might come from the collective, but I voted you into the Dow and I stake my reputation and part of my capital is at risk if you don't repay. And so you start building these connective tissues between the different participants in a quasi pseudonymous or like community. Um, but it becomes like you create these bonds that ultimately like your default rate might be quite low, um, very low because I'm on the hook. So this is like what Taleb says about skin in the game. If you have a construct a system that has skin in the game where, you know, whoever I'm introducing to the DAO, well, I'm also on the hook for that. Like, I think that's where you could probably see a system that works pretty Pretty efficiently. You got a million dollars for free. And if you lose the money, Santiago loses out. That is sweet. You well, should, you or should he take just that. comes and visits me and I lose my knees. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I say, like, I think, like, um, 
I'm generally of the mind like that you like humans given the shot, like a fair shot of like of improving their condition, they will take it. Um, like with this is this is, goes into like universal basic income. Like a lot of people say, oh, if you give people free money, they're just gonna like uh, you know smoke pot and play video games. But that's not actually the case. I mean, a lot of people don't have access to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? Like a, a lot of people don't have access to these services, and when you give them that to them, uh, it becomes quite valuable. Um, so it is tricky. Um, I think you can have some sort of enforceability. Like credit throughout history has been enforced by violence or the perceived risk of, of violence, like a, a, someone stepping in. Um, but I think you can mimic that in uh, through a smart contract, I guess. Another one that's been innovative in the fintech world that I think could be nicely replicated on in crypto is like working capital loans. If you've seen those from like PayPal or Stripe or Square, where they kind of have a history of your past revenue, and then they'll just draw on it from your future revenue. But it's that's like very practically helpful for e-commerce businesses with inventory or you know like other businesses like that. And, I do think there's several yeah. that could work well with a – it's not like a super narrow scope. It's not zero risk, but it's like the type of thing that a bank should be able to serve people with, but they're not. Absolutely. Now, imagine if all that data is on-chain, right? PayPal is only looking at like self-reported data, but like all this data can be can be you know manipulated, right? And so like this is protocol or protocol lending. You know how much TVL Yearn has, how much earnings you're going to have in real time, then you're able to issue a loan against that. Um, and if things change, the smart contract will just update like – the, the line of credit or the interest rate, if you will. So yeah, I think, I think for the first time ever, like when I describe DeFi, just to kind of round it out, when I describe DeFi to my banker friends, I was at JP Morgan, I tell them, guys, imagine if you have perfect, like if you have a collateral that is in like perfectly transparent, auditable in real time, like 24 seven, 365, and their eyes glow up, they're like, holy shit, like I, I, you can do this and that and that and that, right? Because in the traditional world, like you don't have that, right? It's just sort of a lot of it is based on reporting and you need to verify that data and it becomes very cumbersome. You can't in real time infer how risky your counterparty is. But in DeFi, you actually can. Man, I like that. Getting me hyped up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember, remember, not financial advice. Um, not so financial advice. Uh, we only have a few minutes left. So I want to ask the uh, chat to fire in the questions for a final uh, ask you anything, not ask me anything. A, a Y U way A. Yeah, I don't know. I can't spell. Um, Maybe something other than what DeFi yeah, coin do we market by, which is what yeah. Bobby wants to know. Meanwhile, yeah. I want to uh, I want to know like, do you? as an individual or maybe Parify as a fund ever do any degen stuff and by degen i mean like you know that big dick protocol thing that launched big data whatever <laughs> big data, um, big data. like yeah. and then it got like eight billion in brand new smart contracts in like a, in a day and then it got to the mm. end of the seven days and no one could withdraw because the smart contract didn't work <laughs> And, uh, like, SBF, like, put, like, 2 billion in just in Sun, but, like, 1.6 billion in. Wait, did they get their Um, money out? Yeah, yeah, you could get, you could get your money out, you just couldn't get the rewards or something, or, like, you had to, like, (laughs) like, this emergency withdrawal, and if you did the emergency withdrawal, it erased your rewards. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, what's, like, what's the most degen stuff that you've done, um, like, individually or as a fund? We're the first block in a yam. Wow. You're the what? First block? Yeah. First, first, first money in a yam, like the first block, like went hard at yam, really. Um, but, but I mean, it was so like we do a lot of farming. Uh, I mean, it's, it's again being productive with our capital. Um, but yeah, I looked at yam. There's a funny story. If you ever have Kane on, tell him what happened because I called Kane and said they're using your your mentor contract 
Like I was just looking at it. I was like, this looks and feels like something. But I always second guess myself because I'm not as technical as others. So I call Kane and this was like around 11 a.m. Pacific. It was like really, I guess it was really early in, in Australia time. And I wake up Kane from like, he comes out of bed and he's like, I'm like, Kane, are you looking at Yam? He's like, what are you talking, Yam, what? I was like, just have your guys look at the contract and tell me if it's actually, like, I think it's okay, but I, you know, I'm not going to put a lot of capital here unless I verify with the guy who built it. He calls me back 20 minutes later. He's like, yep, no, the contract looks good. I was like, all right, let's go. Uh, and we, and we, the funny is we deposited some SNX in the first block. And then like three blocks later, I was like, okay, and Kane's in the house. <laughs> my yield just i'm not just right. answering your question i'm gonna hop in here too <laughs> yeah so so no we do we do i mean i think it's um but again with uh i do caution like sometimes like you know it's like i'm not convinced a lot of folks are just actually reading the contract it's like oh there's a billion dollars here so like it must be secure it's like it's a pretty bespoke contract that hasn't been tested like the mentor contract secures billions of dollars at this point multiple billions of dollars like there's some lindy to that David in the chat asks. So we do, we, we do DGen. We do DGen. Uh, David asks if your commitments are in Bitcoin or ETH or if they're in stables. But I think maybe a better question is how do you benchmark? Uh, All of the above. If we're not outperforming Bitcoin or Ethereum, we might as well pack up our stuff. Okay. That, that's, yeah, yeah. We, and it needs to be absolute return. Like, you know, we hate this relative game of like, it's just nonsense. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of questions about books you would recommend reading one about non-economic books uh that's benefited you other one like what should i read to become smarter i think it said um <laughs> i know your twitter account mate so you, you're a lost cause but i'll uh, uh i'll leave it for the rest of the <laughs> rest of the um yeah so a couple of books uh, i think uh, we talk a lot about how the internet evolved uh it's called how the internet happened it's a really interesting book um it's just just good uh, I think the cathedral and the bazaar and this theme uh, of open source versus not open source systems uh, is good. Uh, on the more like things that I've, books that I've really enjoyed, um, I like this really simple book called, I think it's Finite and Infinite Games or, or The Inverse by James Cars. Um, and it touches like a lot of the things and themes that we've discussed here, which is um, there are two kinds of players in game theory. One that plays a very finite game and and a one that plays an infinite game and i think you can tell you know it, it touches on like the character of founders of investors there's a lot of you know is do i value my reputation and like by when you play an iterated game it just changes the behavior right and it's a really fascinating book about game theory about life i think it's just about general stuff uh and it applies to crypto as well like uh you know a lot of it is game theory and you know, I always like to think that I'm affiliating myself with, with founders and teams and my partners at Parify that, that ultimately are playing a finite, like not a finite game, are playing a, a, a iterative recursive game. Um, so, so yeah, I think that that's a that's another good book. I love the I don't know which the cathedral and the bizarre comparison. That's one that I've known from the web as well, and I've talked about L, like some of these L ones as these empty cathedrals for a long time. Um, yeah. Do you think there's something to why the bizarre team seems to just win over and over again? Because like really Bitcoin and Ethereum both fit that model. Yeah, I think it, it appeals to the it appeals to the human nature to collaborate and contribute to something bigger than what you're doing. Um, and I think like when you see really smart, this is the thing, Linux, right? And Ethereum, like it, these are hard problems to solve and it will attract the smartest people um, to contribute. Um, so I, I think it's just general, like, 
humans want to be a part of something that is really transformational. And I think in, you start seeing that more and more in these days where people think, holy shit, like these are really hard problems. Cryptograph, like the touch cryptography and political, like a lot of things that are very much unsolved. Um, and now on top of that, like I think crypto is just open source on steroids because it solves a lot of the issues that you have with Linux where unfortunately a lot of people didn't make a lot of money off of that. Uh, and, and I think the, the wrapper here is, you know, I don't know if DeFi will be a huge thing or if Bitcoin is going to be the best. But I will tell you something like you betting against crypto is you might as well you might as well fucking short human ingenuity. Like, you know, what I mean, like human creativity expresses itself in the best way possible through open source systems because they really are any. I just hired a guy who's 18 years old who's anonymous. I didn't even know who he was, what credentials he had. I just thought this guy tweets really interesting stuff. And you know what? He's getting in Telegram groups earlier than I am. Like he started his crypto journey six months ago. To me, that's. That's fascinating. Like, uh, you're away with this ivory tower nonsense and pedigree bullshit. It's like, let's actually, open source systems are awesome because they, at the core, value you based on your contributions and your ideas and nothing else. And to me, like, that is where we're going. I don't know if it will be Bitcoin or DeFi, but that just that way in community level ownership is, I think, going to be really, really hard to compete against. This is super interesting. I imagine there's a bunch of people in chat who are now uh, about to type something like, how do I become one of those people? Like, I want to get a job in crypto. Um, you know, how do I get in the Telegram groups first if I want a career in crypto, but I've, you know, worked in completely adjacent industry? Uh, what should I be doing now? Uh, how should I, like, be contributing and uh, elevating my voice and, um, you know, showing that I also yeah. have rigorous critical thinking skills? Yeah. Um, look, I mean, I think crypto needs like more, more other non-technical people. Like we over-index on, on the technical side, but there's like a lot of like uh, political scientists that need to come into the space, behavioral economists that need to come into the space, like sociologists, anthropologists, like we need a lot of these people. Um, and the nice thing about it is like, honestly, just find a project or two that you like um, and go into their Discord group and ask very basic questions. And you'll find a very welcoming for the most part, feel welcoming community that will help you answer questions. Like at some point, and everyone was a noob at some point. Uh, and I think like, that's pretty, I mean, you'll find a very welcoming communities. And, and, you know, if you, if you like what you see, you're probably, you probably will get a grant, you know, uh, I've seen it in synthetics and Badger and yearn and so many of these projects you join, people start asking questions. They start designing stuff or building stuff and they just get a grant. And, and that would be my best advice, you know, but, but you have to, crypto Twitter is great. It's awesome. It provides like fantastic memes and entertainment and a lot of alpha. But uh, I think the real stuff is happening in discord groups where like the real, the real juice and the real building ha is happening there. So do both. Right. And always be skeptical about everything that you hear, like do your own research. And all this stuff in my compliance team requires me to say. That uh, leads me into a question from the chat. It said, who shall I follow? Who's giving out uh, the alpha? Like, who are three people that people might not be following, but uh, probably should? You're not allowed to include Tarun because no one can understand his fucking tweets anyway. He's like, <laughs> yeah, you like, yeah, don't know yeah. what the fuck he's saying. Yeah. Um, good question. Um, I would say, I don't know, maybe I can I, I can tweet them after this. So like, But I, I feel like uh, just some really kind of like, like, a lot of a lot of the people you've had in the show like are are people that just generally are not chilling just random stuff and but um yeah um i don't know no one really like comes 
there's so many, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Maybe right, we'll hold you. List. We'll hold you to tweeting them. Hold after. me to it. Hold, uh, hold me to it. Yeah. Chat. Chat is saying Barney the boy. So that'll, that'll <laughs> fill in, <laughs> in the space for now. Follow Barney the boy on Twitter and ask him for the free alpha. Um, all right. We're gonna. I think we have time for maybe one more question. Then we'll uh, sure. let you free. I'm gonna leave uh, a moment for uh, questions to come in. Follow Carlos Matos. All right. Follow, follow Gainsey and Lindsay Lohan. Okay, Gainsey's going to get back. Chat's been me. real useful today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, all these questions are trash. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. What is some final alpha for the chat? Free alpha to help all these poor left side of the bell curve people make it. You got one piece of advice that they Screw should the take to Screw the left side of the bell curve. The left side of the bell curve makes tons of money. Just ABN. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's me yeah, and Kobe. It's really in the, 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 we're in the middle of the bell curve. The we need help. Yeah, all right. Um, center left. Center left. Okay, so um, it's it's going to be impossible to catch them all. And especially in bull markets, there's this temptation to like capture everything. And, and, and I think that just is not a good formula. To your point, I really ascribe to what you just, Kobe, you said earlier, which is in this business, I think you need to be right once or twice really well. You need to, at least that's how I think of it. This year, I need to make the next Ave trade because Ave made our business in synthetics. I mean, we did a lot of like good investments, but Ave, for instance, was like it just it just did what it did, right? And and, and I think uh, there's the next Ave out there. I don't know what it is, but but it exists. Uh, and I think you just need to go deep and, and go out and find it. So, um, you know, I, I think that that would be like, I don't know, my advice, which is like. You get pulled in a million directions. You don't go anywhere. Yeah, um, I, I think I think what I like about that is like you had Ave, and you because you had that one uh, trade and you were like in on it and you were confident in it. And you had your thesis and you you know you could ride it out. It you didn't feel like you were missing out on like thirty other projects on the on the sidelines that were all happening at the same time. You weren't going okay. Aves uh, like a, a resistance on the thirty minutes chart, but uh, like donkey coins <laughs> yeah, looking yeah. really good on the thirty minute chart. So I jump and I yeah. jump back to Ave. I feel it, attacked. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> no, no, that is the, well, the ledger special. Here's an analogy that I make. Like, like I mean, the, the, the other one is like you know, if, if you really like DeFi, just you, honestly, just invest in like something like DPI. I mean, it's going to rebalance. It's going to capture a lot of that. So sometimes, sometimes it is a good product, right? But yeah, I, I feel like. You know, I just don't like to be in making an investment that's passive. Like, you know, it's like you see a crack in the wall, you have a hammer or a wedge. Once you make the investment, it's like it's balls to the wall. Like it's really applying as much, much pressure that you can to make that a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, it just doesn't it's not just about capital. It's not let's me jam a billion dollars into this protocol. That doesn't work. At the end of the day, like it's it's be a part of the community and help. Like these these founders need help. And there, I've seen very, very like individual community members in synthetics and Ave and Compound put out proposals that really change the game and add a lot of value. So there's hope I, I, because sometimes when I say that, it's like, oh, well, that, that you know, whales can do that. They can move more. It's, it's not about that. It's like the real tech. If you so, so you know, concentrated bets I think can work well, but it depends on the profile of the investor. I'd say sometimes an index is okay too. Amazing. Um, thank you so much for taking the time coming on. Sorry for Ledger's delay and the audio problem. <laughs> I just yeah, had to rub it in. Great. Sorry. Uh, this is yeah, great, thank, guys. You. thank you so much. And uh, yeah, chat. Thank you for thank you for watching. Thanks for all your questions. Uh, see you next time. Yeah, y'all follow follow Parify Capital on Twitter. 
San Diego will put your handle in there. I can't pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. And uh, everybody, please check out Blockfolio. Go to uponly.tv slash Blockfolio. Make your first trade today. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Rate us Thanks, on iTunes. Give us five stars, but troll me in the review. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye, Ledge. Bye, Santiago. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks so much.